Progressive Radio Network and Dr. Gary Knoll. The incredible work of Dr. Knoll. You can check out his website and uh, all that stuff and find out. Look at the documentaries he's done, Killing Their Own, all the work he's done to help the homeless in our military. And then he's got his ranch down there where he helps to treat people and get people healthy again. This is in Texas. Incredible work by an incredible individual. Well, we got uh, Pastor Bob Shaw back with us today. Hey, Pastor Shaw, welcome back to Warrior, sir. Thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Yeah, you're kind of our co-host, but you've been busy. I mean, you went to the Philippines, didn't you, for educational trip and ministering and everything? Uh, that's correct. Back in February, I was there for about uh, eight days uh, training about 175 local pastors on pastoral care and Christian counseling and just some general pastoral situations. And uh, it was well-received, and I uh, actually am invited to go back, and I'm looking to go back in July. God bless you. I mean, you're really taking it not only to help all the veterans of our nation, but you're taking it around the world. It's, it's similar problems when you have to do counseling or pastoral care. It doesn't matter whether you're a civilian or military or a fire or a policeman. It all comes down to the same simple things, doesn't it? It does, and there are some nuances, obviously, to the uh, uh, first responders and military as opposed to the civilians. There are some nuances that are different, but for the most part, uh, pastoral care and how to counsel and, and support and be a resource and provide you know spiritual direction and things, much of that can, can remain the same. That just has to be tweaked a little bit for the population. And the Philippines, they've got some problems out there, don't they, in different parts of the Philippines right now where, I mean, pastoral care and the need for security has got to be very crucial, isn't it? It depends on the it depends on the region. In the Philippines, what I've learned anyway, and being there the first time and doing some on my own research, is primarily three sections of the country, the north, central, and south. And the south section, but there's, a, there's over uh, uh, 1,100 islands make up this country. <laughs> And uh, so it's, a, it's an island nation, and uh, the, the southern section is about one-third Muslim. And from my understanding, that's where much of the problems uh, rise. And uh, the central section is relatively peaceful. The northern section is where Manila is. And so because of the large city that Manila is, it's a very large city, um, they, they tend to have some issues as well. But the central part was where I was located in uh, addressing the... Um, uh, the local pastors, and each, each one of these pastors really have congregations made up of very underprivileged people. Uh, most of their churches are 50 people or less, and they live among the people. Uh, I say they live in shacks. It's a, it's a compliment, to be honest with you. Um, very destitute, but yet they are so generous with what they don't have. It's incredible. I mean, so the, the living style is completely different than what we would expect or what we're normal to here in the United States? In most villages, yes. I mean, in the cities like Manila, like Cebu, and to some degree like Bacolod, which is where I was, uh, there are some uh, east. I'm sorry, there are some western influences, but for the most part, they're small, uh, very small communities and small villages, even within those cities, that uh, pretty much are um, uh, very different than what we what we probably see here in our nation. What language do they speak? I mean, in That's Spanish a good question. Or... Yeah, they have or... over 100 dialects in that country. And there's one national language, uh, but uh, and sometimes they have to resort to the national language, but for the most part, wherever an individual lives in the Philippines, they speak their dialect. And if they go even six hours from home, 
or even three hours from home, they may find themselves speaking a different dialect, and they either have to know that dialect or uh, resort to the national language. It's really a very fascinating location. Boy, that seems like it can create a lot of problems. I mean, one of the things is strength of the United States. I know when our grandparents came here, and my grandparents, they totally abandoned Norwegian and German, you know, and then none of the grandkids, we weren't taught it, even though our parents spoke it or did when they were small. But when you want to get an economic development and education going, it seems like having one primary language where everything is done in is just extraordinarily beneficial because we're seeing yeah. right now across yeah. the nation the the differences in language. I mean, the kids and everybody are totally brilliant, totally capable of learning, but they can't communicate or they can't read. It's a real nightmare. It is, in our nation, yes. And one of the things that I have to admit is uh, admirable for even a poor country like the Philippines is they have an aptitude for language. I mean, they may know anywhere from three to six languages themselves, including English. In our nation, we're, we're, we're lucky we get to know English. Yeah, that's a fact. I mean, I'm still trying to learn how to read and write English and speak English correctly. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, hitting seven, I'm hitting 69 years old. I mean, for mm-hmm. somebody else where they have multiple languages, I know when I've traveled in Europe, it was not uncommon to see sure. people that could speak two or three languages fluently and read or write yes. them also fluently. Yes, and that's very common in anywhere, in most international locations, that's very common. So it's interesting. They, uh, the uh, Spanish settlers uh, have been were in the Philippines for over 400 years. And in, they came to the Philippines as Catholic missions. And uh, they set up a lot of, uh, I'd, I'd say about 85% of the country is still Catholic-influenced. And uh, But the evangelical and Pentecostal churches are growing uh, uh, very quickly. Yeah, so that's, that seems very interesting. Well, you know, we've got a continuing problem here in the nation with the military denied care and medical care. We've got all the contamination continually being revealed mm-hmm. at the bases around the nation. Uh, one of the things that we've known about and worked on for a long time is all the firefighting foams at the Air Force installations that were used to fight fires or anything that has spread into the water supply, and it's still there even years after they've all closed that. And then obviously you've got all the other hazards from toxic materials and water contamination. And it just seems to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And one thing that bothers me most, as we talk about ad nauseum, it seems like those people responsible within the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marines, or the Coast Guard, they still deny any correlation between all the exposures and all the deaths. How is how are we or how is a person supposed to deal with that? I mean, we just buried another member of our team, and um, his his ex-wife now a widow, his ex-wife before the widow, she came to me at the funeral and said, can you sit down with the kids and tell them about their dad? Hmm. How, mm-hmm. how, how does an individual discuss this or talk about this with people? Once you're affected, as you know, then you've got to put out the fires and people come running. But people don't want to see to get involved until there's a crisis mode. And then when there's a crisis mode, they have a hard time dealing with the reality. Why Why? Why is that going on for so long? Do you have any idea at all? Uh, I really don't know. And I'm, I would think that denial is a, is a big defense mechanism for each individual, and it's probably true of institutions as well, uh, denying that something exists or something was affected by whatever uh, 
whatever behavior or, or, or policies were put in place. And to deny something obviously tries to shirk responsibility. When one shirks responsibility, it's a very difficult thing to live with to those who are suffering. Yeah, it just seems to be a non-ending thing. I mean, as all of us got sicker and we see more people get sick, you know, we're trying to share, and as you've been doing, and Ray Clark has been doing, you know, the other ones, I mean, Joyce Riley has gone to the Angels, and so many of us have gone to the Angels. Mm-hmm. They try to get the information, the education out, but it seems like even in your popular, your normal newspapers or magazines, or you're on your regular TV stations or newscasts, these individuals don't want to touch it. They don't want to deal with it as, as if there's some kind of a curse or something or hex or saying, well, we can't talk about this. We don't want to discuss it. Why? You know, it's it's hard to deal with, and it's hard for everybody to come in because they had a person the other day came up to me at the local farm store. Mm-hmm. Well, we need help. we got to get the information out. But then when I speak about it or ask the media to do something, they turn tail and run the other way. Yeah, have you, as an individual with your background and, and knowledge, Doug, ever talked to uh, representatives and government officials? Pardon me. Have you ever talked to government officials with your background and knowledge of what is taking place? Oh yeah, we have all the time. I mean, we've testified okay. before Congress and the House and the Senate, testified in the House okay. of Commons and the House of Lords, spoke at the United Nations. I mean, some years ago when I was invited to speak at the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, I mean, Desmond Tutu spoke in the morning, and we got to meet him. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was no doubt in my mind we were in the presence of a living angel. And then afterwards, our panel discussed all the health and environmental effects of, you know, uranium munitions and hazardous materials and all the munitions on warfare. And then, as you know, right afterwards, uh, Cardinal Tomasi from the embassy, you know, from actually from the Vatican. I mean, he's the uh-huh. top dog of the United Nations. Came up and said, "Well, can you guys do a full report for the Vatican and for the car- uh, the Pope?" And we mm-hmm. did. Wow! And you know, they spoke out and they continue to speak out for peace and justice and environmental cleanup. But it seems like it goes to the way of the dodo bird. And then our own congressman right here in Illinois. Uh, I mean, John Shimkus, his district director. She's told us over and over again, hey, that's above my pay grade. I'm not going to touch it. Now, wait a minute. If it's above wow. your pay grade and you're responsible <laughs> for the health and safety of your constituents that served in the military and you don't want to help them, where do they turn to? Who do they turn to? I yeah, mean, and that's a, praying, that's a dodge. If, if, if you ask me, that's a dodge. I mean, if it's above his pay grade, then he needs to go to those who are above his pay grade <laughs> to uh, <laughs> advocate for that. Yeah, and, and again, the same thing. And then you just run into like what we're right now with the contamination here at Chinoot Air Force Base and all the other Air Force bases. Army Times a, a week ago came out with a story about the firefighting foams and all the cancers and everything around the Air Force bases and everything else. It just is horrid. And the first thing everybody thinks about is, why well, it's in my drinking water. Well, what we have to forget is the drinking water is only one part of it, and when you get it into the groundwater set right here at Chinoot Air Force Base and other ones in the Wisconsin Aquifer, that's the water that feeds your vegetables. That's the water that feeds your fruit trees. That's the water your animals eat. That's the water that evaporates from your yard and in your lawn and gets into your house. Mm-hmm. And then everybody wonders why everybody gets sick while the military and the Air Force says, well, it's not in, it's not in your drinking water. It's not in your drinking water. 
but they deliberately and willfully ignore the fact that it's affecting all the other water, which is really what you survive on. Yeah, and it's not just the military bases, Doug, and as well as the fact that obviously when you're in warfare, whether it be Agent Orange or DU uh, or the things that the uh, Middle East uh, combat vets have to have to face at this point, you know, we can even talk about the, the civilian population who has to deal with what they eat and their own air and their own water because it seems like for the profitable reasons that companies continue to push their product, all of their product is, and I shouldn't say all, much of their product is going to be laced with uh, things that are preservatives, things that are uh, used to kill off uh, insects and critters and keep diseases away from animals that they turn into beef and so on. So there's always something within our diet as well as our environment in the civilian world, but it's more directly related to the combat vets, obviously, because in warfare you're going to have that type of chemical warfare, even though it's not supposed to happen. So there's a lot of, in my my experiences, I have seen just an increase of of cancer diagnoses in uh, in civilian as well as uh, uh, veteran populations. And it's a lot of environments, no matter where you're on base or or on post or off post or off base. You know, one of the problems we've had, and we've had the experts on this radio program before and other ones, uh, Dr. Professor Ann Lopez, the farm workers are horribly affected. And again, yeah. this is because of the pesticide use on the crops. And then when we have in the rural area here, Nilo in our area, the pesticides float back all around. They don't stay in one place. And so now we're seeing learning disabilities in the children. You know, and this is long-term chronic exposures, like in contrast, as we've discussed, and, you know, Dr. Noll has totally revealed in his work, the military had acute exposures where they were extraordinarily healthy, and now, you know, millions are sick with can't get care, and yet we see it across the civilian population. And I guess the question, I guess the same thing, we know in the farm workers in, in, in Texas, you know, and across the Southwest and into California, they're severely adverse affected by pesticides and all of these other compounds mm-hmm. that are put mm-hmm. in the environment. What was ha- Did you see any idea or any contamination in the Philippines as far as agriculture or water over there? Yeah, I would not say that their water is clean, but again, most of the folks that live there really do produce much of their own. They have maybe their own little gardens and things like that, and uh, uh, they do have their own packaged goods as we do. I don't know the safety of their own packaged goods. I, I do know that when they cook, they tend to cook either over open fires or uh, it's a much more of a natural setting when it comes to things like that. But even their packaged goods, I, I would assume that they face some of the same things we do. But for the most part, they, they live so simply. They make, and you know, a lot of their villages and a lot of their own homes will have banana trees, coconut trees, um, other types of plants and, and herbs that they can just pull and pick from and then cook from there uh, just uh, very fresh. So uh, in Okinawa, for example, too, you know, Okinawa has the most individual population of people living over 100 years old. And a lot of that has to do with a low-stress level lifestyle, the fact that they eat a lot of fish and fresh produce that they, that they grow themselves. A lot of it has to do with all three of those. You know, at one time here in our nation, I know when we were growing up, gardens were a backyard stay in everybody's yard, but as time changed and people changed, mm-hmm. you know, they made the conscious decision, this is what we're going to be involved in. 
So you don't see those backyard gardens and the fruit trees and the full gardens where you've got all the vegetables and everything that you could Good. get. And then the other thing, too, and I know we try to maintain it, and again, this is a part of the whole thing and the whole lifestyle that comes back to what we've discussed and you've mm-hmm. been ad, you know, advertising for a long time. You eat a wholesome, normal, fully diet, fully balanced meal with fresh yes. fruits and vegetables, and you're not sitting there all in these prepared foods or running out to eat all the time. God knows where the food mm-hmm. was or how old it is. <laughs> yeah. But there's something that's happened to the lifestyle not only between the family meal and the foods that you eat, but then the activities you get involved with. And I keep, you know, it bothers me to no end. We see all over the place here now at the University of Illinois, they want to serve beer at a baseball game for the university for sure. two hours. Yeah. What is happening to our society that we got to rely on drugs or alcohol for everything? Well, that's a that's a much more loaded question when you when you really when you realize the fact that that drugs and alcohol are uh, very addictive, obviously, and people who pursue that are also oftentimes in denial about the effects that it may have. You know, some of the states that are trying to uh, legalize or, or, or already have legalized marijuana, for example, and there may be some medicinal uses for it to some degree for uh, stabilizing and anti-anxiety anti, uh, type situations, but what is not being reported is how marijuana affects the neurotransmitters of our brain. In other words, it slows down the ability to... There are neurotransmitters that connect both of our hemispheres in our brain, the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. And those are constantly moving at breakneck speed that we just don't realize, that it helps our brain function at at the level that we need to. Marijuana, as well as other drugs, tend to slow down those neurotransmitters' functions, causing us to think less, I should say, not less, but think more slowly, maybe have some memory issues. Uh, marijuana also pr- produces a, like some burning sensations in, in one's lungs if they do it long enough. So there's other medicinal, non-medicinal uh, effects that, let's say, marijuana may have, but that's just one drug of many that has a lot of detrimental effects that's taken so, so much. You know, one of the things that's been advocated and has been in the news lately and the, the votes up in Congress is the Department of Veteran Affairs and the military literally wants to prescribe marijuana mm-hmm. for PTSD and for pain management. And and I can't but help but think this is going the worst way you possibly can go because for PTSD we're dealing with a moral or ethical injury or just a normal reaction to a horrific incident. Sure. And whether you're using alcohol or marijuana, it seems all you're going to do is mask the symptoms for a few minutes but at the same time, as you just described, the physiological effects are literally contraindicated for the exposures and everything that's happening. Yeah, but we have to remember that people who were coming out of med school, I'd say, for the last 30 years, maybe a little less, um, are being indoctrinated, medical professionals, are being indoctrinated with the solution to all ailments is medication. And that's what they do, but we are all symptomatically driven. Everything is about taking care of the symptoms. And even in my own field of pastoral care and, and uh, professional counseling, uh, much of the time we we are kind of influenced and, and encouraged to just deal with the symptoms and help folks maybe cope with certain things and, and giving them maybe more tools to, to work with in their life. But to me, my approach is I'd rather go after the root of things, not just deal with symptoms. And unfortunately, the medical field hasn't done that either. They just deal with symptoms. 
Yeah, that's the same thing. I mean, when we look at the contamination, whether any of the military bases or what we've done in Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Kuwait, Somalia, the Balkans throughout Europe, Vietnam, Okinawa, Korea, the Philippines, I mean, we left a catastrophic environmental mess as we went in supposedly to free these nations, and then we walked away, and we not only have left these nations to fend for themselves, as we've talked about, we've totally abandoned our U.S. military that went in and did a job by request. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to a vet the other day, and he was really having a hard time dealing with the fact, okay, I did it, I'll do it again, I got no problem with that, because the situation was in. But then why have they abandoned me afterwards? I mean, trying to deal with that abandonment is extraordinarily difficult for anybody our age with our thing, but these young kids that don't have the tools that you're trying to teach, we're talking about yeah. a nightmare. Yeah, and I don't know if it was much, I think I think it was much different for our, our parents, yours and mine, Doug, and we're old enough to have parents who served in World War II. And I think it was a little different for them because that particular war was, uh, while there was some controversy and, and political you know, gerrymandering and stuff going on. For the most part, there was a, a, a righteous indignation that most allies were about when they were fighting against the Nazis in the Imperial Japan. And the idea was that this was something that had to be eradicated before it went any further because of how terrible they were treating the nations they were conquering. When they came home, there was a bit more support. There was They were given jobs. They were given health uh, uh Access, although not as much technology by any means existed then as it does now. I think things changed with your generation, our generation. You were just a tad older than I was to be able to serve Vietnam. I was just a little bit young enough to not quite get there before the peace treaty was signed. And that particular war had a terrible taste in everybody's mouth because of the political reports that were going on and how that was fought and how it wasn't fought. And when all you veterans came back home, you were not supported, you were not given the respect, you were not given the access to care, and who cared about what kind of care you needed, that sort of thing. And it's been that way ever since. Yeah, we still can't get the care. I mean, the Agent Orange effect and everybody, we just had another member of our team just died, as we talked about, and we buried him. Definitely Mm -hmm. Agent Orange and Trichloroethylene, no doubt about it, absolutely totally confirmed you know, where it came from, we knew about it, yet the military wants to disavow anything happens. And for me, it's so flustering because for those of us that are advocating or trying to speak it out or get the medical care environmental cleaned up, even for our own selves, it seems like the doctor, well, I got these tools in my bag. This is what I memorized in med school. This is what the drug company told me I could do. Right. And then any time they got to get out of that, what you're saying, what you're advocating, that's why you're so crucial to this whole thing. Getting back to the root cause, what is causing this whole thing that we can alleviate and thus solve or help solve and alleviate some of the development of problems? Yeah, and then one of the things that has to be somewhat seen as reality is that when you're dealing with an enemy that really has no moral compass, they don't care what kind of weapons they use on their enemy and their enemy sometimes being us. So even if the United Nations has this thing in place that you know chemical weapons are outlawed and they're not supposed to be used, 
you know, you got to remember that a lot of folks are not going to be compliant. Yeah, I'm not sure what's been coming down. You know, one of the discussions we had, and, and this is so hard to deal with it, what's the future of the generation? I mean, when we look at the health and environmental health effects of environmental contamination, whether it's in your household today, I mean, houses houses today are built with so many composite materials. we got outgassing, you know, the sick building syndrome. we got all these things put into our diet that is affecting everything. And then we see our environment in a, in a catastrophe. I mean, you've got all of that. And then the other thing, too, and my my son and my grandson brought this up the other day to me because they had, if somebody got sick in my grandson's class, and they were trying to find an antibiotic that was going to resolve the the biological need to alleviate the biological mm-hmm. bug. Yeah. And they weren't finding anything because it had become immune because of the misuse of medications. You know, there's an ongoing debate right now when it comes to that particular piece, Doug, and that is, uh, you know, there's some folks on both sides of this particular fence that are, that are really uh, adamant about whatever their belief system may be, and that is the vaccination situation. I can remember, as I'm sure you can, growing up, we had maybe one or two vaccinations that we were given as children. Uh, one was for ring, ringworm, if you remember ringworm, and uh, I forget what the other one was. But now the children and infants are almost forced to have about six or seven va- uh, vaccinations, all designed to so-called help prevent childhood diseases. Uh, but I remember having measles, and I remember having uh, other diseases that, that affected me for two weeks. But after that, you know, your body re- readjusts, and you don't get it. Typically, you don't get it again. Yeah, I mean, this is normal reaction. Everything. I mean, when I when we were small, and I was small in the fifties, they made yeah. a conscious decision. Okay, you haven't had the measles yet. Well, we're going to expose you. Well, you haven't had the mumps yet. Exactly. We're going to expose yep. you. We haven't had chickenpox yet. We're going to expose you. I yeah. mean, obviously, yeah. I get it out of your system. To this day, I can yeah. remember polio ravaging through, and I distinctly remember lining up as a small child, and you know, our aunts and our mothers had to be there to help us when we took the polio vaccines. That was the other one, polio vaccine, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously polio doesn't doesn't much exist (laughs) too much anymore. But one of the debates that are going on with the the vaccinations right now is whatever it's laced with oftentimes, not only is it supposed to be, not only is it designed to supposed to eradicate these childhood diseases, they they have other things in these vaccinations that really do damage to the developmental brain. And there is a debate. And there's some document that, documentation that has been rendered by many doctors in this particular case, as well as reflecting on, on the European approaches, that autism, Asperger's disease, and ADHD in particular are more prominent now since these vaccinations have been implemented. Yeah, that's it's kind of frightening. Another thing, too, and we've talked about, and this is, again, in the Regal United States Senate Regal Commission report, as we've talked about, we do know that Iraq had chemical and biological weapons starts at, at the beginning of Desert Storm because the United okay. States Army provided to them. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we know was provided and is listed on the shipping is the West Nile virus. Mm-hmm. Now, we also know the West Nile virus was, you know, built and constructed on Plum Island off of, uh, cent- you know, central Manhattan, Manhattan Island on there on an island, and then it got into Central Park. And then it ravaged across the nation. 
So wow. here we have a deliberate Army biological warfare munition that got released in the environment, either an accident or stupidity or whatever it has, and now it's marked across the nation. Mm-hmm. And we see people affected by West Nile virus day in and day out, and it keeps you know it keeps moving because the mosquito bugs bite the bird, the bird flies, and it just boom, 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 boom. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that particular piece, but there is just so much out there uh, that affects, you know, the the growth and development of first of all children, and then how it develops and affects adults who are exposed to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that's happened locally is the educational level and the ability to educate. We're seeing extraordinarily high levels of misbehavior in the schools. Mm-hmm. We're seeing extraordinarily yeah. high levels of failure rate in the schools. At the same time, technology is going up. Mm-hmm. But then when we look at it, and just with pesticides alone that's in your natural environment, whether you've got the orchid man coming to your spray your house or you've got the guy out there to make my lawn look pretty, I mean, I could never figure out why you have to spray your lawn to make it look pretty when whatever you get from God is more prettier either, even then. And yeah, I mean, there's certain, there's certain natural things you can do, like with the... Uh, just simple grass seed, so yeah. <laughs> you know, it just seems to be an it just seems to be an mm-hmm. ongoing thing. So we're seeing so incredible levels of learning disabilities, misbehavior in school. Yeah. And then they want to come back and blame it on when well, there's definitely some cultural problems, as you said. I mean, significant cultural problems. But it seems like we've gone into this thing. Well, the better living through chemistry. This started when you and I were in high school. Yeah. has just got out of control because people want to have the conveniences. They want to be able to do this and get this done fast, not realizing there's a cost to pay for all this. Yeah, there is. And then with the children that you're referring to, with the higher increasing levels of behavioral issues, or one of them is a reactional attachment disorder, RAD is one of the diagnoses for children who have uh, difficulties behaving in school as well as um, uh, avoidant personality disorders and, and uh, antisocial disorders and so on like that. They, they have formal names to these things. But to me, you know, in having to deal with that on a regular basis in my profession, there's usually two things that, are, that occur that, that have a lot more contributions to these outcomes, and that is parenting or the lack thereof. We have a lot of broken homes where the child is considered a tennis ball between two adversarial parents who are, trying to fight tooth and nail for who's one, who's going to have the visitation here, who's going to uh, affect my child more than you, and, you know, don't listen to daddy or don't listen to mommy, and the kid is just spinning out of control and is, what the heck am I supposed to listen to? So the lack of uh, together homes, but even when, to, when the homes are together, you've got many, many times, more than 70-some-odd uh, percent of the families have dual incomes, which are necessary in our unfortunate society and high taxations and so on, cost of living, where the, the attentiveness of, of parents is much, much less than what you and I grew up with. And the attentiveness to, towards their children allows the children to basically do as they want. They are basically parented by media or TV. And then the second factor is the drugs that these children are on because they get diagnosed with these so-called uh, conditions Two doors down from us, we had a, we have a neighbor whose um, young boy, you know, was about the age, a little bit younger than my, my second youngest child. And in high school, this young man 
had 14 medications he had to take every day. So For what happens is they may, they may be addressing something in particular, but 14 is ridiculous for a youngster because what they're dealing with is not just what they're trying to attack with the medications. They're dealing with all kinds of side effects, side effects that cause terrible behaviors. We know that gets back, and, and Dr. Barb Billings has been on with us, and we've worked together, and all of us have, and he's, you guys have all written these books. But when they're trying to deal with these social and cultural and family problems and diet problems and environmental exposure problems, now they came back into the counseling, and they want to add these psychotropic drugs and black box drugs in there. And as we all know, and we lost, you know, we lost the co-host of this radio program, I mean, all so many others, they start taking these black box drugs, and their brain thinking gets totally fogged and screwed up. And now they start dealing with alcohol or other medications and everything. And next thing we know, we got a mass killer, or we got a guy doing criminal, or we got child and spouse abuse left and right. Some places, how do we put common sense back into this? Uh, that's a that's a loaded question. I don't know because again, the idea is that medications are the answer because they're all we're dealing with. We're only symptomatically driven. Everything's about the symptoms. So if we're seeing something in a child that needs addressing, instead of going after the root as to what it is, we're just going to cause that kid to be sedated instead. But what happens, and this is above my pay grade, I have to admit, because I'm not a psychiatrist, but my understanding and a little bit of, and a little bit of what I do know is that when you have these medications that are designed for uh, psychotropic uh, approaches, yes, they deal with the limbic system, which is the center of all our emotions so that it can settle our emotions in, in, a, in a child or an adult, where we can just be able to function at a re- relatively decent level. But you give these things to children, and while it may have that effect where it sedates uh, the limbic system, it also retards the prefrontal cortex, which is where our rational and, uh, and, our, uh, develop- and our critical thinking mind is located. And if you're retarding that area of the brain, then the critical thinking skills, which are at a premium low these days, really becomes affected and, and, and hampered. Well, I know in my own personal experience, we had a, somebody I knew, they had their knee replaced, okay? Mm-hmm. And then trying to deal with that in the fibromyalgia, they gave them the psychotropic drugs. And next yeah. thing we know, out of the cold blue, they committed suicide. You know, and there's no yeah. doubt in all, you know, that something, because of the med or the drug, the rational thought process was totally destroyed, and they didn't even know what they were doing. And they ran into a problem. Well, I can't deal with this right now, and they don't see any way out. So next thing you know, it pop. Yeah, and again, it's all focused on the limbic system of the brain. And again, it, all that hampers the prefrontal cortex where rational and critical thinking take place. I can't tell you how many patients and clients I've had who, uh, you know, come to counseling and, and ministry who have been on medications for a while, or maybe especially those who maybe have just started taking meds, and how they describe it is, I, I just feel so crazy. I, I don't know whether I'm coming or going, in that, and, I, and I think it's the meds. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I've heard that. You know, and when you don't, and when you come in to see your military or police or fireman, you've done, done work with the horror and the reality of what you had to do. You had sure. no control out of that. And now you're trying to come to some, as we've talked about it, and you, I think, are probably the strongest advocate been teaching us, is to get some resolution. 
You can't change, yes. you can't alter what happened, but you have to re- get some resolution about what took place and move forward. And like we've yes. been talking about, these kids today don't have those tools to develop those coping skills. Too many adults no, don't it, have the coping skills. I mean... Yeah. See, I, I believe in coordination of care. So if a doctor prescribes medication or if a psychiatrist provides medication, if that doctor or psychiatrist, who, of course, is a doctor, uh, does not it does not uh, uh, encourage their patient to continue as well with therapy or, or counseling, but rather just stick with the meds, they're not being competent because the idea, the meds are supposed to be temporary until they get to a point where they can have some equilibrium again. Without therapy, without the type of approach that can deal with the root of whatever it is that's, you know, that's causing their dysfunction, uh, they'll, they'll be living on those things for who knows how long, and they'll be crazy in doing it. You know, it seems like this, the destruction of the family structure and all of this is just totally falling apart. Because I know when we were growing up, our father mm-hmm. went to work, our mother was home. You had a normal lifestyle, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have, you know, I remember when we got our first TV, TV, you didn't worry about this, you didn't worry about trips, you didn't worry about going out there or doing all those things, you had a normal lifestyle. I guess for me, what I would call a normal lifestyle, you got up Mm -hmm. in the morning, you had breakfast together, or, you know, as much as possible, had a good meal, then you went off to school, well, we came home for lunch at, from school for, you know, a half hour or 45 minutes, and our mother was there and fixed the lunch. And then we went back to school, and you did your thing, and you came back home, and you played around, and the family sat down for supper. And then you played games or did things in the backyard together as a family, and then you're not out there chasing. And then, you know, get 8.30 or 9 o'clock, you're getting your bath and going to bed and starting off the next day. Yeah. But it seems today people have made the conscious choice, I've got to be involved in this, i got to do this, or I've got to go out here, or i got to drink here, or i got to do drugs here or i got to have this expense, an example is a cell phone and the computer. I mean, 99%, 99.9% of the people are only playing games or looking something up. God knows what it is, even is or what's of any value. And yet they're wasting an incredible amount of time and an incredible amount of money. I mean, the old thing, what happened with our generation in the space race, we develop engineering and intuitive skills because you're out there making it happen or building it yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, and when we were growing up, we were outside all the time playing. And one of the things about exercise for, for adults, but it's always uh, also true of children, when you are exercising and, and physically active, uh, some of the hormones that are being secreted are endorphins and dopamine, which are feel-good chemicals, and they have a very positive effect of our well-being. But when we're not exercising, those don't get secreted, and we don't have that sense of well-being. So, therefore, does a child now suffer with anxiety issues? Now, does he suffer with ADHD issues? Does he now suffer, he or she, uh, with depression issues? So, therefore, we've got to medicate this kid instead of maybe, and, and this is true of schools. The schools have been very guilty of this. Recess used to have maybe two times of recess that would take, you know, a good number of moments to be outside playing. Recess is, there, is, is, is minimal these days because every school is teaching a kid for testing because all the test results are what bring in the money to these educational entities. So everything is backwards because now the kids, especially boys, if they don't get the exercise, if they're all just kind of sitting in class and school and getting taught 
to take these tests. Uh, they have this energy where we're, we're wired, boys are, to, to be outside and, and playing and using our physical activity. And kids in school, if they're not getting that, are bouncing off the walls, and they consider that a, a, a behavioral problem when it may not be. Yeah, it comes back to what's going on. I mean, it's the same thing. And then for our national security, we're seeing a very small proportion of the high school grads that either academically or physiologically are qualified to become a policeman, a fireman, or go Mm -hmm. into the military. I mean, they're obese or they don't have the physical stamina or the capabilities to do it. I mean, until I got nailed and everything caught up with me, I mean, I was in my 50s and early 60s, and I was still running around like a 35- or 40-year-old. You know, and you then know I, I just came back from a, teaching at a conference up in New York, Pennsylvania, and uh, I was teaching uh, the, the uh, participants about the nuances of military and counseling military. And uh, my, my, my observation has been in, in working with the soldiers and, and airmen from Fort Bragg and Pope Air Force Base, uh, I have found, you know, at one time, and, and this, maybe you can speak to this too, there were pretty much two two reasons why young people joined the military, out, not not counting the draft, okay, not counting the draft. When people enlisted themselves, there were mainly two reasons. One, uh, there was a legacy of some kind in their families. Maybe somebody like their uncle or their parent, one of their parents served in the military, and they had a positive re, uh, report about that. There was something being said about it in a positive light. And the patriotism piece was a part of that, feeling like I want to serve my country. The second reason that folks joined the military was to, once they get to a junior or senior in high school, they're not sure what they want to do. They don't know if they want to go to college just yet. The military was a viable option to go get some training, to serve your country, maybe to grow up and get some mature discipline in your life. All those were positive things. There's a third reason, though, now. And I see this as a detrimental one because... It's people like these that wind up joining the military who are much, much more susceptible to something like PTSD. And that is this. uh, Men and women, young men and young women, are now joining the military for those two reasons as well. But a lot of them are joining to get out of a terrible, dysfunctional environment, thinking that the military will will provide them with a, a safe and secure place. They have no idea what is what is required to be in the military, to be, a, to be a trained warrior. And if you don't have the medal and the wherewithal emotionally or mentally because you're a terrible environment, you're going to be much, much more susceptible to the stuff that you don't think you're going to see and then you wind up seeing. Yeah, I mean, that's a given fact. I mean, my own experience pays that out. Ray Clark has talked about it, that ad nauseum. I mean, when you see the same thing and the same thing we're seeing with the police and firemen, today, uh, and I can't come back, and this bothers me more than ever, when we were doing continuing education with the police and fire or the military, at one point in time, everybody did it because it was the right thing to do, and you didn't worry about whether you were being paid for it or it was on work time. Same yeah. thing with the teacher. They did continuing education because it was the right thing to do. Well, mm-hmm. now we've seen for whatever reason, well, I don't have the time to do it because of their conscious choice of what they're going to be involved in that's often not productive at all, but then the other attitude is if you don't pay me or it's not on the time on, on the job clock, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, individual responsibility yeah. and person, personal accountability seems to have gone the way of the dodo bird. Uh, a good example, we just had the opening of our grand new 
observatory here in central Illinois, uh, Prairie Winds Observatory near Champaign. I mean, incredible work, massive facility. They invited all the schools, all the principals, all the teachers, everybody to come. Well, the same people show up all the time. We put the water out, and it's all the same people that are caring, the same families for generation that are caring. And then the ones that need the opportunity to move on, to educate and move up and get in society, it doesn't seem like they drink the water. And then all these other problems develop, and we wonder, well, why didn't the parent take the child out to do this thing? Why didn't they get involved in this? Or why did they set the example, we're going to a football game or a basketball game or a play or a baseball game. i got to have a beer. i got to have a drink along with this. Yeah, yeah. How can you well, set a, a standard? The child doesn't know any that's... different. And if you start drinking and alcohol yeah. and booze and all this stuff or don't take care of the child and meet their needs, how will the child can't develop to a sound human being later on, can they? Uh, no, that's a that's a and, you know the debate of the nurture versus nature in terms of what affects our upbringing, what affects our our development. You know that particular debate has been around since Plato and Aristotle. You know is it is it genetics or is it our environment? And the debate raged for hundreds of years, one or the other. I think where people land mostly today is that it's both. So you have a child. You know you can have maybe four children in a family. And let's say one of the parents is an alcoholic. Uh, maybe two of those children have a genetic genetic makeup whereby they can uh, start drinking and, chemically speaking, get hooked and, and addicted pretty quickly. And they see it. But if that's the case, they don't necessarily, if that same child was, was born into a family where there's no parent that's drinking, they may not see that model, so there's a nature there's a nature effect. Obviously, the genetic aspects, maybe the chemical ability to to uh, get hooked on it faster than perhaps somebody else, but the nurture aspect is just as strong because what they're what they're witnessing and observing is how my parent is a, is coping with a particular stressful issue, or how my parent is is uh, conducting relationships, and and how my parent is doing this by drinking and. Seemingly, seemingly having such a great time, he's always happy or she's always happy because they're drinking. So that environmental nurture aspect also affects uh, an individual. You know, I see when I got, now that I got grandkids and we got totally involved, I had the youngest, we were out here doing work on the farm. And he was just having a field day helping to paint as we were, you know, doing maintenance and doing painting. And the other one, we put new rock down on the lane. Well, I said, you know, hook up the uh, lane roller on the whole thing and run it back and forth. Well, you know, it was like Tom Sawyer. You know, he's doing work for us and getting it done. But here he's getting to drive the Kubota back and forth all day afternoon, all afternoon, what he wants to do and having fun. And they come in, they're tired, they're worn out, they've got good physical exercise, they've learned something by one-on-one help. You know, granted, it took a little extra time to have a six-year-old painting, but what that six-year-old got out of working directly with us is doing painting was irreplaceable, I think. I think so, too. It helps them understand that there's something that, that is very helpful in contributing to the betterment of people around you. How do we, and, and I, I'm not asking for an answer to the question, but I've got, I'm posing the question, how do we get the common sense parenting, common sense educational values and everything put back in? 
because when I was talking to one of the super math teachers the other day, she's taught for 31 years. She's you know, going to hit mm-hmm. for 35 is what her plan is. And she said, I said, well, did you get, how are you doing on getting rid of the calculator? And she said, well, I took my eighth graders and I took them away from them for most of the year. And then after a while, I said they could use them back. And then what she noticed is they lost their actual mental manipulative skills to do it. And if you go to a grocery store, and it's totally common, you get to check out. And I get so irritated because you go to check out at Walmart or any of the stores, it doesn't matter what you want, or grocery store, and they'll end up putting cleaning compounds in with food or fresh meat in with raw vegetables. And it's as if there's nobody there. And then when you bring up the question to them, they look at you like, what planet are you on? What are you talking about? But then, yeah, yeah. because they don't read enough, they don't have the vocabulary to understand. So you can't learn. There's no osmosis to learn. Without a vocabulary, you can't understand. Without direct hands-on and everything experience, you can't expect to learn. And then the other thing that comes on back down to this stuff, the social and cultural thing, well, marijuana is okay, or driving and texting is okay, or doing this and that is okay, or you know, going out drinking in the middle of the night and not eating together as a family is okay. I mean, it's like, it's all turned topsy-turvy. It has been. We're going to have any salvation. We're going to have to pull it back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a very complicated, it's a question with a complicated answer that you just posed. And there's a lot of factors to that. A lot of factors to that. How is a counselor, when you run into situations where you don't have the family structure there, or you don't have the support structure there for the children, what tools can you have or what tools available to try and solve something? Oh, that's a, it depends on the situation and, the, the, and the, perhaps the diagnosis and, and how old the child might be or the young person might be. Uh, but one of the things is to help them learn that you know their life is still their responsibility. Now, they may not have had a lot of impartation given to them or a lot of wisdom helping them and and they may be kind of, uh, you know, a wanderer, uh, a hiker without a roadmap, per se. So part of what I try to provide is a bit of a roadmap for them to know, that, okay, this is really what you should be getting, so let's spend some time on this so that it can be implemented into your life. And that, that could take, you know, it could take a while to do that, uh, especially if they don't have the, the support in the home front that can uh, underscore that. It seems so difficult because of the economics today, when you have people make all these choices that require dollars to be spent, and yet a lot of these choices and the spending and the money is for stuff that doesn't last or you don't need. I guess when we were growing up, if you didn't have the money, you didn't spend it, you didn't buy it. Right. But now we're seeing so many families, and this has got to come into play in all this stuff, well, we got to go on the trip or we got to buy this, so they're buying it on credit, and they're sitting there running five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 credit card bill that they don't have any hope of really paying off. All they're doing is paying on the interest or a little bit at a time. Yeah. But then when they have the definitive need for the child, the child doesn't see any common sense, how do you want to say, message or modeling or anything on how do they behave or how do they deal with in a lifestyle. Yeah, they're used to getting things in instantaneously as opposed to waiting for things. And um, I know growing up in my case, I, I had to learn to wait, and, and nothing was instantaneous except maybe Tang, 
everything everything you you, you gained over time, and, and maybe as you grew into a responsible, resp- more 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 responsible, so that you can handle certain things. Um, that doesn't seem to be a factor much anymore. Everything is pretty instantaneous, and whether one's responsible to handle it or not. Well, and then the communication skill. I mean, as a counselor and everything, what I've seen, and just in my own work in the environmental medical areas and military training, everybody's going to go on the Internet and look it up. Now, whether the validity of the information is anything there on the Internet doesn't make any sense. And mm-hmm. they just get it, and they almost think, well, like, if it's on the Internet, it's got to be the gospel, and it's got to come on down to this stuff. Yeah. Well, how does all of this stuff and the misinformation or inadequate information or inability to understand solid information affect counseling and success in anything? It's It's got to be de- detrimental, or it's got to throw a monkey wrench into it, doesn't it? it? It does at times, yeah, because sometimes people will come in and they self-diagnose with something they believe they have or, or struggle with, and there have been many times that I've had to correct it and say, well, you know, that's, that's maybe what symptoms show, but, you know, in the DSM-5, which is the book that we use for diagnosis, you know, may have certain criteria, and if the criteria, you know, let's say they list eight criteria, typically anywhere from three to six have to be true in order for that diagnosis to be rendered. So if those criteria are met, then chances are that's a viable diagnosis. And it's, it's, a, it's an art sometimes more than a science, I have to admit. Uh, but some people will come in because they Googled what they think they're struggling with based on their symptoms. And there are times that, yes, I've had to change that or change their, uh, uh, their thinking on maybe what it is they're struggling with. You know, I guess everything we've been talking about this for this last hour goes back to what we discussed before. You put into a normal everyday lifestyle where you have a family unit you know, wherever many kids or parents, mother and father, they're working together for the benefit of everybody. They've got a good job. They're not spending beyond their needs. They're having meals together as a family. They're coming back and doing homework if they're doing it. I think an yeah. education thing, they've got to the point now where the parents say, well, we don't have the time to do homework. We've got to do all this other stuff. Or the parents, for whatever reason, I've seen this over and over, the parents don't even have the education necessary to help the kids do the work. And then the kid just True. gives up on doing the homework, and then we see, well, they don't understand the science. They don't understand the math. They don't understand the chemistry. They don't understand the basic nutritional factors. And then we see all these people, and, I mean, you go to the grocery store, there's more prepared and processed foods that people are eating as a meal than I mm-hmm. think today than what we grew up where, okay, well, you, you went out and you butchered the hog and you burned it and you, cooked, you know, cut it, burned it, and fed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you went out yeah. to the garden and you pulled the carrot off and brushed off the dirt and ate it. <laughs> no, that's true. I remember growing up in the inner city uh, up in northern New Jersey, and there were local uh, butchers and local uh, uh, stores that made their stuff fresh. And that's what that's when my mom shopped for the for the meats and, and some of the vegetables, rather than you know like a how uh, like a uh, Kroger or something like that these days. Yeah, it just makes, again, think. Do we, as a counselor and as a pastor, pastor and you're working not just here and across with all the different domains, what are your hopes and your dreams? Do you think that we still have time and room to fix it, or are we at a point where we have to figure out how do we do crisis management? 
the church usually has to start with affecting and transforming an individual. And the more the in, the more individuals that that are transformed, the more individuals that have uh, a brand new moral compass from which to work because God has entered into their life through Jesus. Then, the larger that population grows, the more it effect it has on the home, on the community, on the state, and the federal level. However, that particular momentum has gone the other direction. For the most part, most most churches have seen a drop in attendance. And we can always talk about that. Well, Pastor Bob Shaw, God bless you, sir. We need to come back. Thank you for a wonderful hour on the fundamentals and where we're going. God bless you, and thank you very much. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Education information from the Progressive Radio Network and Dr. Gary Knoll.